Our first scripture reading today is from Exodus chapter 20, verse 17. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. And now from Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 to 13. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to Christ. Thank you, Duncan and Melanie, for that uh, Worship Connect Serve announcement and walk through that. It's, it's good. We, we love to be able to take, you know, kind of periodically an extended period of time to to just sort of lay it all out uh, so you can see ways that you can connect. That's good for us. Um, this, so we're, we're at the end of the Ten Commandments series. We made it. Um, and it's been a lot of fun for me to, to as, as the preacher, to think through these commands and to think through how do, we, how do we unpack these? How do we think through what they're saying, what they're forbidding, but also what they're calling us deeper, deeper into? Um, and one of the things I was thinking about with this particular command, uh, this isn't in my notes, so um, this is bonus material, uh, is the, whenever I do a wedding, uh, and I love to do weddings, I got one coming up uh, pretty soon and I'm really excited about it, when, when a couple takes, takes their wa- wedding vows, you know, we, we usually do traditional vows and we see, you know, say for, for in plenty and in want. Um, and it would be really easy to think that when we say things like in sickness and in health, for better or for worse, in plenty and in want, um, that the reason really what we're focused on is the negatives of those things. Like I'll stay married to you in, in sickness and in want and in worse. Um, but there is, it's no small thing to learn how to live well with plenty. It's just no small thing to learn how to live well with plenty um, or with, with wellness, uh, to, learn, to learn how to navigate life well uh, in these seasons where we have plenty. Because one of the things we're tempted to, uh, just as much in seasons of plenty as in seasons of want, is to want more. Um, it's just a different kind of desire when we have plenty. And so, uh, so this commandment uh, kind of meddles with, with me a little bit, and I'm sure it will meddle with you as well uh, in searching the heart, but uh, let's just jump right into it. It's a complex commandment um, because it brings under one banner uh, both things that are sacred and things that on their surface seem kind of mundane, like when Duncan read the command, it says, you shall not covet another man's wife. Also, you shouldn't covet another man's donkey either, right? It's, it's got some range, this command, right? It's, it's covering a lot of things. But what it's basically doing is it's saying, don't want what isn't 
yours? What is somebody else's? Edmund Clowney, who wrote a great book called How Jesus Transforms the Ten Commandments, he, he summarized this commandment really well. I want to read this to you. He said, the Tenth Commandment is clearly a heart commandment. This command does not simply warn the Israelites against stealing the belongings of others. It goes much deeper, requiring that God's people should not even desire what belongs to another. It focuses not on actions, but on attitudes. It speaks not just of what we do, but of what we want to do. Of all the neighbor-related commandments, it is the only one that can't be seen by others. So it's a command that's not readily observable. It happens in the interior. And it's a command that has a paradox. And so I want to unpack the paradox of this command. And it's also a command that doesn't just have great paradox, but it also extends to us great mercy. And so let's look at it, and we'll start with the paradox. And it is the paradox of desire, that we're all people who are wired to desire things. A paradox is a statement that seems to contradict itself, but the contradiction itself delivers an inherent truth. So, for example, it's like when Oscar Wilde says, I can resist anything except temptation. Or when John Donne said, death thou shalt die. Or when George Orwell wrote in Animal Farm, all animals are equal, but some are more equal than others. The paradox of this command is this. It calls us to tame our desire. Okay? But it calls us to tame our desire in the context of a bigger law that tells us to embrace the strongest desire that the human heart can have. And that is the hunger, the desire to be known and to be loved by our creator. So in the context of God calling his people to love him with everything that they have and to everything that they are and to be people whose lives are marked by desire, we have this command to also tame our desire. So you shall not covet is a law that says don't want And it comes to us in a set of laws that says you were made for so much more. And so I want to talk about two primary ways that we break this commandment. Um, The first would be through stoicism, that we violate the command you shall not covet through stoicism. Uh, And the other is through licentiousness. So let's start with Stoicism. Just having said that, Stoicism and licentiousness, I thought, this is going to be fun. (laughs) It's going to be a good time. Okay, so Stoicism. Some of you, this is how you function, and it's this. Kill desire. Just tamp it down. Are you somebody or do you know somebody who believes that emptying yourself of desire is the best way to live. It's the path to a holy life. That's an Eastern way of thinking, right? The Eastern way of thinking is to free yourself through the death of desire. 
Because if you don't want, then you can't be let down, right? But some of us, on the other hand, we're not philosophically approaching the Stoicism. Instead, what's happening is, is we're just trying to empty ourselves of desire because we don't want to hurt. We don't want to hurt again. We, want, we don't want to avoid pain. I have, I have somebody in my life that I've loved for a long time and I was with when they had their heart broken. And as we processed that sorrow, I saw the temptation well up to address the pain by never letting anything like that ever happen again. And it's, it's that process of saying, okay, and imagine that your heart is a, is a, a house with rooms. And some of those rooms are places where you've, where you've hurt. And you just, you just go around to those rooms. But there also happen to be the places where you long for things and you feel and you love. And you, you know. But those are places where you're like, there's nothing in there but hurt, so I'm just going to kind of shut off the lights. And those rooms, close the door and lock it behind me. And it's just going to be what it is. Maybe this is you. Maybe this is how you function. You shut the lights off in certain rooms of your heart because you just... You don't want to get hurt anymore like that. And scripture says to us, don't do that. That's not how we're called to live. This command is all about desire. What do we permit our hearts to want is really at the heart of it. A Stoic would say, well, peace comes through just killing desire, being in charge of it, being in command of it, and being in command of it by way of eradication. And so if you want to live a pain-free life, just don't want things. Because if you don't want, then you won't be let down. But C.S. Lewis, I've read this quote a number of times, but it bears repeating. He, he said this, and it's such a good quote. He says, if we consider the staggering rewards that are promised to us in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. Because we're half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. He concludes, we're far too easily pleased. So if you're a Stoic and you think, no, don't covet, simple. I just don't want things. That's not how we're called to live. And we'll get to that in a minute in the mercy part of this. But let's also then turn to the other end of that continuum, which is licentiousness. And this is just deny yourself nothing. Satisfy every appetite that comes along. This is a loud voice in our culture right now, is if you have an appetite you're, you're entitled to be happy, and therefore being happy means satisfying the appetite that comes along. Live it up. That's how the argument goes. We might even spiritualize it and say, God wants me to be happy. And so therefore, satisfying my desires feels kind of good, and so I am going to do that because it makes me happy. And we can use this way of thinking to justify all kinds of things that really just what they do is they put ourselves first. And so we might find ourselves in positions where we say, I want to be happy, but in order to be happy, I, I, I think I need to leave my spouse 
for this other person who really seems to get me in this season of life that I'm in. Uh, or I'm going to use these substances because they knock the edge right off. And that makes me happy. Or I'm going to escape into this hobby uh, because it feels good. The hobby's fine, but what really feels good is the way that it just kind of isolates me from, from other people, from searching questions. I'm not against hobbies, by the way. I love them. I have my favorite hobby is hiking, which we're going to do on October 8th and 9th in the wilderness. <laughs> Men, you're invited. It'll be an overnight. We'll leave Friday morning like at 7 a.m. from the Walmart in Murfreesboro, and we'll be back Saturday in time for dinner. So you need to get Friday clear, but Saturday is Friday and Saturday. Come along. We've done it. It'll be our third, uh, third hiking trip as a, uh, as a church. Uh, and it's always a good time. But uh, anyway, back to the sermon. <laughs> I, I'm not against hobbies, but I would say this. I would say that we're good at escaping into things in order to dodge what we feel. And part of the reason a command like you shall not covet exists is because God cares very much about how we feel. Uh, it's an important part of us. So I want to say something strong now as your pastor, and it's, it's this, that I have a deep concern uh, for our congregation uh, because of the cultural moment that our congregation is in. It's a concern that I share for our city in general, but for our church in particular, because this is the community I'm in. And it's, and it's a concern about how self-indulgent we, we can be with sinful behavior. We live in a self-indulgent time, and we live also in a proud city. And I love Nashville. I don't want to be anywhere else ever. I love this place. And I don't think I could go to another city, and this wouldn't be the case. Um, but, but what I want to say this is, I, I love this church very much too, by the way. Um, but, but think about the appetites that you have. Think about your appetites. Um, not just with food, but your morality, uh, the future that you're chasing, how you decide what you're going to indulge in, how you decide what you're going to deny yourself. Our culture says you should do what makes you happy. The warning and the concern is this. Do you understand how much presumption is in the statement you should do what makes you happy? Let me explain what I mean by this. The presumption is that gratifying your appetites will bring you happiness. When the truth is that some of them could ruin your life. And they're proven to do this. There's a track record of this. There's also the presumption, and this is an important one for us to hear, there's a presumption that we know what will make us happy. And to that I would say, do you know what will make you happy? Do you? The irony is that many of the things that we assume will bring us happiness are historically proven to bring misery instead. Addiction, infidelity, chasing after the unattainable, losing years of our lives consumed with work as our family grows around us and moves on and we have that moment straight out of the country song, right? 
where it happened so fast and you didn't even see it coming and I'm going to miss those days, all, that, all, those, all those tropes. I want to ask you, in the spirit of this being a command of the heart, whose obedience transpires in the secret places between you and God, what does a command like this mean to you? What does it mean to you? You shall not covet. Because for me, if I'm being candid, I can put this one in the category of it's a simpler command to obey um, than some of the others. It's harder to obey than murder, maybe easier to obey than stealing um, for me. Uh, but, you know, maybe not. Maybe I'm kidding myself. But what does it mean to you on a heart level? Because the truth is theft Murder, envy, lying, betrayal, wrath, contempt, all of these things begin in the heart before they ever occur between two people. And in a faith whose law, the Christian faith, in the faith whose law can be boiled down into two commandments, love God with everything that you have. Also, love your neighbor with every bit of zeal that you have in loving your own self. These are commands that say, forget what can be seen on the outside and examine your heart because to follow the Lord is to desire. It is to feel, it is to lean in, it is to chase after. It, it matters to me, not because I want this church to be like the most rule-keeping church in town. Uh, it matters because I've, I've stood in places of deep pain and sorrow with so many people over the years whose lives have been deeply wounded by licentiousness and the unhindered gratification of desire. And so this command is asking, is there a bridle on your desire? Because how we steward them matters. But this is what leads us into the mercy. So perhaps you found yourself on that continuum of stoicism and licentiousness. But let's talk about the mercy of this command existing in the ten. How we steward our desires matters, not because God wants us to be free from them, but because God wants us to be full of desire. He wants us to be full of desire. St. Augustine, he said this. He said, every man who knocks on the door of a brothel is looking for God. This command tells us, don't kill your heart, but don't run to other lovers either. Why? Because you, you have a lover. You have one who makes your heart alive. And God tells us that our deepest longing is for him. And then he tells us, by the way, that deep longing is something that you can, you can have satisfied. And so the mercy in this law is the reminder that our relationship with God is a matter of the heart. It is a matter of desire. But remember, this doesn't work with God only. It actually works in every relationship that we nurture. Every relationship that we have is a matter of the heart. Every desire we cultivate, every dream we chase, every person we choose to pursue, 
and every person we choose to betray, every prayer that we offer up, for every fear that we feel, and every hope that we hold, they're all matters of the heart, all of them. We're people who live by way of our heart. We're people who can't live any other way than this. And so this command is a declaration to us. All of us live lives of deep, heart-level adoration and hope and love and aspiration. And the God of all creation is telling us that he's in the picture. And he has given those whose faith is in him a new name. He's given us his name. And he's telling us that all we could ever need He will give us. And so we don't need to want or demand another life. Somebody else's life. Because he offers us life. And he offers us life in him. How has he done this? He's done it through the life and the death and the resurrection of his son Jesus who atones for all of our rule-breaking ways. And Jesus looks at us and he says, come to me. Come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest for your souls. And he means it. And that's the mercy of this command, is God knows we're people who are riddled with desire. And he's saying, that's because I made you that way. I made you to long for me, so long for me. And the promise is he will not turn us away. So with that, we bring the Ten Commandments series to a close. And I wanted to close the series by reading another quote from Ed Clowney uh, from that book, um, just as a way of kind of wrapping up the whole ten weeks that we've been in the Ten Commandments series, and then we'll prepare to come to the Lord's table together. Clowney writes this. He says, how possible is it to keep, or no, how impossible is it to keep the commandments? One day we will all stand before the bench, not of a judge with the Ten Commandments posted on the wall behind him, but of the author of those commandments. Praise God that the Ten Commandments not only have been intensified by Jesus, but have also been transformed and fulfilled in his righteousness. The law is transformed in the full measure of the love of Christ. So Christian, take heart. Christ has accomplished the law for you. And it is in the confidence and the freedom that Christ brings you that you can, by the power of his spirit, please God and live out in your own life what, will, the will of, what the will of God demands of you. You will not do this perfectly, but you need not do this perfectly because Christ has looked, because God has looked on Christ and pardoned you. So reflect on all that Christ has done for you in perfectly keeping each of God's commandments and go out today rejoicing, ready to do the work God has prepared in advance for you, knowing that you have already been prepared for that work. Let me pray. Father, 
For every command you give us, you give us a Savior who keeps it perfectly on our behalf. And we confess, Lord, that we are people who will always, this side of heaven, struggle to grasp the magnitude of that reality. For some of us, we will feel as though our conduct doesn't really matter, that you don't really care, and we will then so minimize the cross through our ambivalence. For others of us, we will seek and strive to save ourselves through our rule-keeping and also then minimize the cross. You've given us, Lord, everything we need for life and godliness in the finished work of your Son, whose sacrifice and whose gift we remember when we come to this table. And so, Father, we ask that you would free us from feeling either the need to disregard your word to us or to work as hard as we can to try to become our own saviors. But, Lord, would you teach us to rest and trust in the work of Christ on our behalf. Lord, for those of us in this room who strive to avoid pain, by avoiding feeling, for those of us who try to avoid never being hurt again in a particular way by never letting our hearts be accessible or known to others, Lord, would you, would you by your Holy Spirit, lead us down a truer path, uh, lead us down a path where our hearts are known and loved by you and also by others, and that we would take comfort in that uh, rather than closing ourselves off. Protect us from that. And we thank you for your kindness. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.